What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondevold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This episode, we feature Jamie Porter McElroy, owner of Dirty Bourbon Clothing and bassist of the band Dead Eyes. We went through his history with music, the inspiration behind Dirty Bourbon Clothing, the bigger purpose around the clothing brand itself, his battle with Crohn's and chronic pain as a whole, and the ins and outs of being a booking agent for clowns. You heard what I said. I'll have all his links in the show notes. Make sure to check out all his stuff. It's all top-notch quality, and he does his best to give back. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. And then how was your Thanksgiving, by the way? Pretty mellow. Uh, I mean, like I didn't see any family, you know, COVID and all that stuff. So it's just me and my wife here. Do you usually get to travel? Um, depends. Like my, my in-laws are in Florida, so it was like... Kind of don't want them coming up. Kind of don't right. want to go down there. So um, usually like we would do Christmas down there or something, but that's not looking okay. like that's going to happen either. So I don't think so. Yeah, no, we're going we're going virtual Christmas. That I, I feel <laughs> like that's still really weird. Like, I guess because uh, you can still see your family pretty well all the way through. So that's cool. But that connection piece and that like sense of warmth has to be gone. Right. Yeah. It's like even my, you know, my local family, like my parents are in, you know, Luther. Okay. It's 30 minutes from me. So, you know, my mom's a teacher in person. My brother's a teacher in person. So it's kind of just like, really want to see any of you. (laughs) (laughs) Like I do, but I really don't. So, I mean, like it's like Thanksgiving was like I cooked for my whole family. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just me and my wife. So I ended up like Friday taking food to my parents' house and just dropping it off and leaving. So. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, like, I felt like, you know, like, their kitchen's not top-notch, and they're not much of, like, cooks anymore, so I was like, I'll at least, you know. Yeah. Did you get into cooking just, like, recently, or has that always been a thing for you? I've always been, like, I worked as a sous chef when I was, like, 18, you know, as, like, a part-time job. Like, it was just a small cafe. I was making, like, crappy breakfast for people. Like, it was fun, though. And then, like, I was, you know, downtime, I would just cook my own food and just not like a big thing, but like, I don't know, it's fun. I've I've been trying to cook more very, very hard and it's not working out very well at all. <laughs> so I've gotten into just like making chicken with like the curry simmer sauce that I can get just at Target, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and then just some rice and maybe some vegetables. And that's like my claim to fame because I can't mess that up too bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like like you got to have something, you know, everybody like even if you're a bad cook, you know, at least like one dish. Yeah, yeah. Like pretty well. And it's really just slather it with sauce and hope for the best, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, especially with poultry, like you can dry it out pretty easily. But like if you're covering it in like a sauce or a gravy, like it's still good, you know, like. Yeah, chicken, chicken is chicken. So that that's I, I like that. Yeah. I think I think it's interesting, though, because. I never cooked when I was younger, so I never had like a line cook. I, I never had that. So it's always interesting for me to see like the adults that are around me that I've known for since they were kids. Yeah. They just know. They're chefs. Yeah, they're chefs. <laughs> yeah, they're chefs. And I hate them. And I'll, <laughs> luckily for me, like I, I just, you know, eat, 
eat their stuff too because they'll just be like you're sad let me go let me ahead and make, make you some you stuff food. you're eating like crap <laughs> That's happened- macaroni and cheese out of a box every night like let me help you yeah so velveta but yeah yes. yeah, yeah same deal. yeah <laughs> just globs of processed cheese yeah yeah that that good liquid gold hey i love i love velveta don't get me wrong that stuff's so good <laughs> so you have dead eyes yep you're playing bass in that, right? Yep. And then we have Dirty Bourbon Clothing, which from what I remember hearing, that started as kind of a um, an idea to support other musicians yeah. and give them more access to merch, right? Correct. And then you're doing all of that while also battling a disease that I don't think is a cure. No cure. Crohn's, no cure. right? Okay. So when did you start playing music? Um, I mean, I picked up a bass for the first time when I was 11. My best friend bought me one for Christmas one year. It was like a really crappy. I still have it. It's a Fullerton. It's like a knockoff Fender P bass. Okay. And it's like, I mean, 100 bucks like at a Target kind of bass. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Oh, that first act. Bass. Yeah, yeah. But this thing is a monster. Like I still have it. Still play it. Really? He got it from like a pawn shop or something. Like his parents took him to a pawn shop when he was 11 and got me this bass because we wanted to start a band together. It was like kind of adorable. That's that's awesome. And you never you never played music for that. You had no kind of like I mean, like I had my mom was a big musician. My grandfather was a big musician. Okay. So like it was I was surrounded by it. I played piano when a kid, but like not like we're going to we're going to be in a band. Yeah. And we never actually did play in a band, which was funny. <laughs> but yeah, so that was like the start. And then I uh, I took lessons for that branched off to start playing guitar by myself and then like bass was just i spent hours and hours and hours and hours just like playing songs in the basement and eventually got into my first band when i was in high school with actually the the current guitarist of dead eyes jim we've been best friends since we were like six he didn't get you the bass no 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 no, no, yeah no that would have been too much serendipity yeah that would have been that would have been that would have been too real uh yeah (laughs) that's like too hallmark movie for me so right right (laughs) yeah no it's we we played in a band called do to get even it was just a pop punk band that we were awesome like i i don't even mean to like toot my own horn that band was so good like the songs are really good still like i still listen to that stuff that's amazing because most of the time you hear about musicians or artists being like i don't listen to my own work i don't like my own movies i don't like anything that i've produced (laughs) i feel the same thing about my show because i don't like my voice i mean some some older songs i don't listen like different bands but that first band like we we you know we stopped playing because you know we all went to college that was it really yeah had we all gone to like the same school or something i think we'd probably still be a band you know life has a weird way of like bringing the past back a little bit so like jim and i have kind of like our story is kind of like revolved around itself a little bit and, and right. now that we're back in a band together it's kind of it's kind of crazy so that is interesting that that's like your your first like big nice experience in a band where you're just like i'm loving everything that i'm doing and then finally finding that that other piece that kind of like reminisces on the same thing for you too where it's almost like what we 
always talk about life is a, a like a circle. It's cyclical. Yep. You always find yourself kind of in the same spot, but just on a different little path, which is fantastic. It was just really strange because I feel like when we were a band in high school, like the scene in, in Baltimore was like really big, like local music was like a big deal. Right. We were just a little too young to really understand why, I think. Like, we we were just having fun playing shows. And I mean, like, I remember playing shows for like two, three, four hundred people as a 16 year old. Wow. At the Wrecker Theater in Towson. Like, it was like unreal. Yeah. And the Wrecker is coming back too, yeah. which is going to be insane when that happens because I feel like all the. To your point, like all the bands that were around your age at that time, they all kind of had that experience, whether they were conscious of it or not, or at least like that, that idea of playing in front of a good amount of people in a community because Baltimore for me looking on the outside in, especially record, like that was a mecca of all that pop punk indie stuff and going in as just an audience member, like you feel completely encapsulated with everything i mean like that venue size i think was really really important for like national acts too because you know like shine down toward uh their first album at the record theater and and that's just a weird thing to think about right like yeah yeah like shine down playing like 45 at the record theater at its height you know, it's crazy. That is so weird. It is so weird. Yeah. There was all these national actions coming through and doing like two, three sold out shows in a weekend. And it was just like a really big tour stop for a lot of these like major first album bands. Right. Especially in the rock community. I mean, like I saw Citizen Cope three times there because they always came on the same weekend. Mm-hmm. And it was like my birthday one year. And that was crazy. <laughs> and like my first sh- my first show that I went to by myself was at the record theater. I think that's always a good experience, like knowing that you don't have to go with people and you can still kind of enjoy it. Yeah. And just being like, oh, yeah, I'm here for the music. Like, this is cool that I have friends and stuff, but I'm here to see this one thing. And that's going to probably influence me or change my life because now it's a more intimate setting where it's just basically me and saying hi to other people. I'm just excited. I'm excited for to be back. Like I actually worked for um, Paul Mana for a couple of years and he's like part of the resurgence of the record. So, I mean, he's a 24 seven entertainment. So trifecta, right. Food truck festival and the shot and the shindig and all that stuff. So it's really cool. Cause you have, you have people like that, that remember what it used to be. And now they, we have kind of like the power or the resources to bring some of that back to where the nostalgia, it is nostalgia, right? oh, yeah, of course, nostalgia of for course. nostalgia's sake. But the other thing with that is you have a building block for the future for everybody else too. And now every all the new bands coming up can have possibly that same feeling that you guys yeah. did which is a really, really important thing. Cause I know in Southern Maryland, we don't really have that. I don't have a lot of new bands because yeah. <laughs> there's not, there's nowhere. I mean, for and, them to play. and right now it's like, there's nowhere for anyone to play. So it's right, like, right. That's, you know, that's a whole besides yeah, the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think like, you know, COVID ends, whenever it ends, it's going to choose its time, you know, like obviously yeah. there's things we can do to make that quicker, but that's besides the point. You know, like, I think that people, once they can actually get back into the world, like, I hope that, 
like live music gains its footing again because it's obviously slipping right now. Yeah. It's kind of sad to see, but a you know, little like, bit, yeah. You know, like venue, venues closing and like places just not being able to maintain you know, whatever, and you can just hope and pray for them, and you know, donate if you have the money to. But yeah, well, it's it's also interesting because I've seen some venues open in the middle of a pandemic, and having like they were scheduled to open either way, so they have a bar and food and all that stuff, and then they were going to do concerts as well. But it's just like. That is such a like a scary proposition to try to put in all your stuff, and now we never know what's going yeah. to happen day to day. And then you look at musicians and pretty much artists of, of all ilk right now trying to do like that um, video conferencing for the shows. Like stand up comedians are doing it, musicians are doing it. It's so difficult to have that human connection and like what we just said with with you going like your first time and then having that that connection around other people too. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I think I think that's important to actually feel like the sense of community that's around you. So when you're going to a show by yourself, you don't feel disconnected not only from the person that's on stage, but the the other people around you. It's definitely weird times, but yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit, just a little bit. So let's let's get back to. Um, oh, I already forgot your band name. That was really good. Now I'm upset. Dead Eyes, <laughs> not Dead Eyes. The the one that you were. Oh, uh, Due to Get Even. Due to Get Even. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the one that you actually liked, as far as the music years by. So that that's really n- neat that that happens where you're able to listen to old stuff and 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 it's actually still good for you. Yeah. Because that usually doesn't happen. With due to get even, we're playing in front of hundreds of kids, not even like realizing it because we're sixteen and not knowing what we're doing with our hands, right? Oh God, I have so many like stories of just like wearing stupid stuff on stage because I thought it was cool and I thought that's what bands did, and like all the mistakes. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, <laughs> but like I had a good time. You know, I don't I don't regret it. I learned a lot from it. Well, you got to live through them, right? Yeah, yeah you have to. Yeah, I mean, that's... like, the, I mean, the hardest part is like going from that success that you didn't even know you had to like playing to 20 people in a bar, you know? Yeah. And it not making sense as a kid. You're just trying to like understand why it shifted. Like I went from playing like with this full band to playing solo stuff. And just like basically getting rejected because like that's kind of how it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then I just band hopped for a couple of years through college and landed on some other projects for a while and then ended up here. Yeah, it's probably a, a pretty disconcerting thing to have all that success. And then when you're trying to do it by yourself too like not even with another band like not even with people to support you and be like oh man we can we can do better it's okay you got to look at yourself and be like what am i doing because i'm not sure (laughs) i mean you grow up really fast you know yeah like that's i think that those years of playing to nobody by myself were like really constructive because i feel like i'm not one to take failure lightly Okay. And I feel like even though I do and I, you know, everybody's failed and everybody's there's two paths you can go. You get up and you try again or you just stew in your failure. And, yeah. you know, I've done both 
And I've learned a lot from doing both. You know, I feel like that those were the fundamental years that I like gained this like entrepreneurial self. Right. You know, and that's why I've done all these other things, I think. During that time, would you say that has the like the most skills that you've probably learned because you had to? At least fundamentally. I don't know that like specifically I realized I was gaining those skills. I mean, yeah. like just social interaction skills in general, you know, like you're playing by yourself, you're the manager. Right. You're you're the musician, you're the manager, you're the tech, you're everything. So it's like learning to sell tickets to your own project. I mean, like selling yourself in general is a very difficult thing to do. It's a lot easier to sell a band than it is to sell yourself. Like honestly, <laughs> and you're, you're, it's still the same thing though, you know. I don't know. I haven't I haven't played a solo show in, in years. I probably could pull it out of my butt somehow, you know. I don't know. <laughs> but I think that's a good I think that's a good spot to just be like seeing every aspect of a band because normally you have those people to bounce off of and normally the person that's not super extroverted can still stay in the van or stay just quiet at the merch table or go to the bar yeah. and like not be bothered, right? It's always a good thing. Not always a good thing because it does suck as far as the, the feelings of it. But just learning that stuff and learning how to talk because if you're not naturally good at it and you're not like naturally extroverted, that's very difficult and such a hard <sighs> thing to learn. I don't know. I don't know what happened, what changed. I mean, when I was 16, 15, 16, I was like a nut. Like I would just run around venues talking to everybody, trying to get people hyped up. Like, I mean, like it's I was a kid, you know, right. And I did some really stupid things. <laughs> and uh, now it's I feel like it's a little, you know, I feel like there's still that kid in me every time I go to a show and I want to talk to everybody I know and try to meet new people and, you know, have a couple drinks and do that thing. But like there's some social anxiety now and there's yeah. some like I don't really going to a show. It's like, do I have to do I actually have to go to this show? Like, yeah, get your face out there. Yeah. You know, you have to go. You know what I'm sure. Yeah, I never want to leave my house. And that's a problem because I love music and I love like going out like stand up is one of my favorite things. So going out to to see that stuff and I'm an hour away, hour and a half away from most of it. So I have to really like motivate myself because yeah, now, oh, am I sure. am I going to drive for this? Probably not. Am I going to just take a nap? Yes, I think naps, I think that's going to be good. it. Naps are good. So we're looking at some that experience and then kind of molding yourself a little bit with the the individual performances which is cool because now you're able to see all the different aspects of the band and now you've you've hopped a little bit from project to project and we finally found this home or a little bit more of a home in dead eyes right yeah um i i, I was in a band called paradry for a while for five five or so years through college and a little bit after um which was a really good experience for me. That was like my f my first baby. Like it was mine and I cherished it a lot and it was really hard to leave, but I decided to step away for just some personal reasons. Not nothing against the band members. I love those guys to death. Um it was more just like I felt the there was a pull on both sides of the music of the band and a little bit of the business of the band that I just they didn't mesh well with what I wanted to do, I guess. Sure. I think that we all just had 
the same end goal, but different routes of getting there. And I think it just took a toll on us. So I, I went, I left there to go to a band called violence and vanity. I was in that band for a couple of years until the guitarist left to move to South Carolina. And we felt like we weren't able to replace him. Oh, okay. So okay. it was like the band just, just dissipated. Um, and then that turned into a band called rise among rivals with the same singer, a uh, different drummer and different guitarist. Uh, we went on tour with Smile Empty Soul for a month, which was really cool. And then I ended up leaving that band for some personal reasons as well. And <laughs> I got offered to play a tour with Dead Eyes with Smile Empty Soul. So it was my second tour with Smile Empty Soul. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I was on, that was like June of 20. 19 i guess 28 okay yeah, 2019 so um that whole month i was on with dead eyes and they basically were like we want to bring you on full time so i ended up joining them that's fantastic it's also a really cool i guess small world to really go from small empty soul to hey i like you guys again we're gonna tour again yeah surprise <laughs> so yeah no i've toured two full months with those guys they're really good dudes uh, it was a quite enjoyable we had a really good tour with my first band the shows were pretty decent we were that opener and then it was september morning who's getting kind of big now and and small empty soul so like the shows were pretty decent a lot of dive bars a lot of like you know smaller clubs but like decent crowds like 50 plus people so it was you know i felt like we got our our fill out of it right second tour obviously i was with dead eyes at that point like that was a that was a tough one. That was a tough tour. A lot of like technical issues, like our trailers tire blew on the highway, and you know we were constantly just trying to like get from point A to point B, gas wise. I mean, like the true like testament to a local band touring kind of thing. Actual hard road of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah a lot of like I feel like the music was really good, but like the issues arose a lot. Whereas. The first tour felt more like interpersonal issues arose a lot and the tour was fine. Gotcha. Okay. It was just a matter of differences in touring style. That's pretty much all it was. And it just, it wasn't for me. Like, you know, with Crohn's and like that kind of stuff, I had to be a little bit more present with myself. Right. After, and that was my first like big tour. Right. You know, I've done a couple like week, week long tours, but this is like 30 days away from home on the road pretty grueling stuff for living in a van. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the questions that I was going to ask you is that it sounded like those were the, definitely the longest tours that you've done in, in uh, up to that time. So how are you balancing that out with like what you mentioned Crohn's and, and trying to be with the band and the tour and then also like take care of yourself because that's a very delicate thing. It's not easy. I'm very, I'm very, very thankful for my bandmates and their understanding. I got really lucky that like I was in remission during both tours. Take that with a grain of salt. That doesn't mean that I was just like, I felt. Yeah. It's really hard to describe it. Cause like, if you don't have a chronic illness or chronic pain or chronic anything, it's like really, really hard for people to understand. So my, my whole spiel is like my normal is, is your feeling bad. Right. You eating Taco Bell three days in a row is my normal, you know? Yeah. So every day I'm dealing with this constant, just dull ache of the stomach and like all these like chronic pain issues. 
And, you know, if like I have a bad day, you're going to know about it. Like, you, you know, it's not. And luckily, I only had like a handful of bad days. So that's that's good because, you know, like you're eating crap food every day too you know like that yeah that's what i was thinking about it's yeah. really hard it's really hard you're not going to the the grocery store and making a whole meal every night we ended up doing that actually a little bit it wasn't like a full meal but like we would grab like peanut butter you know like something like kind right. of blandish that gives you nutrients and that's kind of like that packs of tuna like stuff that I knew had protein and like some nutritional value in it that I could eat every day but i mean like I had Wendy's a lot. You know, I had McDonald's a lot. Like, it's not. <laughs> it's not good for no, you. No, I mean, I, like, I, think... I try to go a little bit. Like, I'd go with, like, a chicken something over, like, a grilled right. chicken sandwich over, like, burger, like, a ton of fries or whatever. But, yeah, still not the easiest thing in the world. But. No, I, um, so I have a, a bulging disc in my back that's been there for at least five years. And then I've had back issues almost my whole life where discs just pop in and out and it's, it's a fun time. I promise it's, it's great. But I threw, I threw one of my, my coworkers for a loop because I had a real bad day at work where like I was, it's in my lower back as far as my bulging disc. So it can affect how I walk and just like my whole posture if it's a real bad day. Sure. So he looked at me and was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, no, this is this is my back. Like everything just, sucks this right is now. It's just Thursday, you know, like <laughs> Yeah, and he was like, Holy shit, I had no idea. I'm sorry to see you in that. Do you need anything from me? And I was like, nah, I'm good. I've been dealing with it for 10, 15 years. Like this is it'll go away. Whatever. Like it'll it'll figure itself out. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. I don't I feel bad for anybody with any kind of chronic pain or illness or disease or anything like it's just no one knows you know and even even people that i know with crohn's disease like they have very very real problems and very real pain that i don't even understand right like crohn's is a really interesting one in in the way that it you can have crohn's of the mouth like it's it literally can be anywhere in your digestive system i had no idea about that one yeah like more more commonly it's in your colon or small intestine but like mm-hmm. you literally could have it anywhere in your entire di- digestive tract and it's, it's it's so miscommonly diagnosed like i have a friend who before i even had crohn's or was diagnosed with crohn's she was like a huge advocate. Like she was doing like sponsored events and things and and whatever. And she came to the hospital to visit me when I got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Uh, She just found out like two years ago. And this, I mean, I was diagnosed 10 years ago. So she's had Crohn's for like 15, 16 years. Oh, wow. And she just found out like she actually has lupus. Like it's not even Crohn's. That's such a completely different animal. Like it's so misdiagnosed because like the in the inflammation that Crohn's can put on you can manifest in like so many different ways and vice versa. Like you have an inflammation disease, you could be inflamed in your colon. And of course, to a doctor, it's like you have Crohn's or you have colitis or, you know, whatever. Right. But like, it could be anything, you know, it could be Lyme's disease, you know, like it could be, you know, any of these bigger diseases, you know, and it's, it's crazy how, weird like inflammatory markers are and your body yeah so like i you know i i think i have crohn's i could maybe not have crohn's but i probably <laughs> do so 
And either way, you're not getting any better anytime soon yeah, no, unless they figure it out. So, yeah, that's crazy. I I didn't really think about that because the the treatments for those things are completely different from what I remember. And then it could be the same symptoms. And that's that's kind of one of the, the issues that we have is that we we treat symptoms rather than root causes for the most part. So it's it's tough to go in and do a full study when they're just like, oh, yeah, here's some steroids to get rid of the inflammation. We'll do some other tests and get yeah. back to you. That's like that's I know that story. I, I Military hospitals growing up and then uh, just like not wanting to go to the civilian ones because I know it's going to be the same story yeah, for the most for part sure. where it. Yeah. So it's it's always sad to hear that stuff. And then it you just get reminded that we just don't approach medicine a lot of times the right way and trying to actually get everything together. And the, the misdiagnosis is is a big thing. I mean, like I've been on I've been on this the same medicine for like three years and it's done absolute wonders for me. But I just had a colonoscopy actually yesterday. Oh, good. A couple of months ago, I had one colon. I had a, a resection back in 2010 when I was first diagnosed. So I only have a three quarters of my colon where my colon was rejoined to my small intestine is like really scarred up. And I keep getting lacerations on that scar tissue. So like oh, wow. literally okay. every time I get a scar, it like heals and it just slowly is getting tighter and tighter. So smaller and smaller. Yeah. Like I felt good. I haven't had any big flare ups pretty recently you know like in the past three years and that sucks to hear like you need to change your medicine even though it's working like like symptom wise so i've uh, i've actually joined a clinical trial that i just got screened for yesterday so like the colonoscopy yesterday was the last hurrah for me so i should know this week if i get in or not that's exciting yeah. uh i think right there's there's a little bit of a hope yeah, it's it's actually it's called um, Ozanamod or something like that. Okay. Um, it's it's already on the market for MS. Oh, okay, okay. It's in the final stages for colitis, but they needed people for Crohn's, so they're just testing it, seeing if it works. Sure, I get paid, so hey, <laughs> that's, that's not that's, that's not too dope. Bad. I get paid to have my disease, and like if I do really well on the medicine, I get to be on it for free. So that's really nice. I get paid to have a disease. I like that. <laughs> that's, that's that's not bad. I, mean, I like that. I have it anyways. I might as well get paid yeah. for it. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's that's fantastic. That's little stories like that helps because then there's always that little bit of a hope. And it's always cool too because people will use medicine for specific things and then find out, oh yeah, this will actually help out this other person with with this one thing. Or maybe this couple other things. So it's always cool to to see how that that works, and having possibly a bigger impact than just on the the thing that you're researching. Yeah, because MS is such a big a big yeah. oh my thing gosh, too. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. So that that's cool that that kind of ripples out to where it can affect more people, and hopefully it works. Yes, yeah, we're we're hoping. I mean, like that's like I you know I gave them full access to all my they can clone me if they want to you know what i mean like they've got all my <laughs> dna they got it i'm like i don't know why they would want to do that but 
yeah, no, it's, I, I'm just hoping that somewhere down the line, like this could help somebody out with Crohn's and, you know, these other diseases and yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, it helps me in the process. So. That's the idea, right? So June, 2019, I think is what yep. you said, where we joined up with dead eyes, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I think one interesting thing with that is June, 2019. And then now we're pushing. So March is when it gets locked down for the most part, I think. So you have roughly about nine months or so with them. So are you looking when, when you're during that time with them, are we looking at touring more? Are we looking at writing records? So uh, what, what is the, the thought for when you were joining them? Because it sounded like they just invited you to the tour and they were just like, oh, yeah, you're great. Let's go ahead and keep yeah, you. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's the simple, <laughs> the simple story. They were in the process of writing a record or a, a little EP or LP. I guess it's technically it doesn't matter. <laughs> They're writing an album that April. So April 2019. And I got to listen to it on the tour obviously because i played some of the songs it's it's fantastic i i fell in love with that that album like in minutes we still have it we haven't released it yet gotcha okay you know almost a year later and that's not because of covid necessarily um we we have continued to push it back for several reasons we have been shopping it around to labels a little bit trying to get some some cool things happening which is not easy. Uh, we, we ended up picking up a manager from the UK. His name's uh, Taylor from uh, Capital Artist Management. He has worked his little butt off for us during COVID. That's fantastic. Some really, really cool things have happened that I can't quite talk about yet, but I'm very, very excited for when COVID ends. Let's put it that way. I'm sure. So we're getting, we're in the process of, I, I mean, I think for the most part, we have everything in line for this release whenever we're able to do it. Okay. Songs are done. Music videos have been filmed and done. We did those in January of 2020 before COVID hit. So a couple singles on there for videos. We've got all of our content pretty much already mapped out for this release. We just need to hit play. Was any of that planning prevalent in any of the other projects that you were in beforehand? Um, a lot of the pre-planning was, Okay, you know, I feel like a lot of bands like spend the time doing like, we have this album, we're going to work really, really hard on getting it out and done. And then as soon as it's out, nothing happens. Like there's no, there's no <laughs> right. post, post release plan. Right. So that's, we've worked really, right. really hard on making like, okay, we've got a, a six month block of content after we drop this album. Or I guess after we dropped the first single of the album. So, right. I mean, it's like six months plus of stuff that we have ready to go, which is so huge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. Compared to any other. And I mean, like COVID's been a a kind of a blessing in disguise because like I feel like all these good things have happened to the band during COVID. Right. Which is very weird. Being a band progressing forward during a major setback is, I guess, like a really good. I think so. Yeah, I think so. You know, we've we're just we're just waiting. You know, it's honestly just waiting for the right moment to strike at this point, and that's like kind of a beautiful thing to have. I would imagine the anticipation is, is legitimately killing you. Like it, it's just like you're you really want all this stuff out. But the the other thing is that that content word, which I don't like, but that's because it's everywhere. It's hard, right? So it's it's also cool because that anticipation for all that's that release is probably there but the the same thing of 
saying, oh, no, we can we can make we can capitalize on on this. We can make the biggest splash in the pan. We can do all of this if we do it right. We can't pull the trigger too quickly. It's been a lot of talking one person off the ledge. <laughs> like there's there's five, there's five six of us including our manager and it's like I feel like every other week it's like dude I think we should do it now and it's like no 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 just no nope. reel it back reel it. <laughs> and everybody's done it. Everybody in the band has been like I'm really itching to do it right now and it's like nope just wait <laughs> just wait be patient and you know we'll just talk each other off the ledge and we're we're still standing up there you know just waiting so i would imagine that would be such a a, a difficult thing to to handle with a, a daily daily thing because you're always constantly thinking about it like i need this out i need this out because you see that in a lot of younger bands like what you were just talking about where they are so focused on recording music and getting this this album out you see a lot of younger bands that are, are being like oh here's my mix cd or here's my EP that's on a burned CD. Here's all my music. Let me get this out to you. I mean, it's a very like naive childish view. And I mean, like I used to have it, you know, I feel like everybody has it. It's the idea of like, if you build it, they will come. You know what I mean? Like if I write this song, the perfect song in my eyes, they'll come listen to it. And it's like your friends and family will maybe some fans will. (laughs) It's not like the 60s you know where like you could be acdc and write this like totally new thing and like next day you're huge you know or whatever you know i don't even know if that happened to acdc but like you know what i mean like you actually could be found for being a good musician back in the day you know now it's like even if you're like the best musician in the world nobody's gonna go out of their way to listen to you probably you need content yeah you need to have some sort of plan yeah or or just a f ton of money (laughs) right (laughs) like you can't be james taylor you know what i mean like you're not just going to be like the best songwriter in the world who wrote songs for everybody and then they're like you know what i'm just gonna write songs for myself now like and i we're good you know like no like that's not how it works (laughs) you actually need capital like you actually need capital or you need to know somebody Yes. Luckily, my band that doesn't have capital knows a couple people. So that's <laughs> that's, that's good. good. <laughs> that's really good. So with Dead Eyes and all the all the stuff that you're talking about, is there's a lot of that planning, forethought, and kind of a business mindset of it a little bit, as well as obviously the artistic side of it. Did that translate to Dirty Bourbon clothing for you? Was that kind of same approach where I want to to do this as an overall good thing for people, but I also want to be able to approach it in a way that I have a release done right. I have like everything kind of in the works and now I can go ahead and release my baby to the world. Yeah. I started it in 2017 early, like January, 2017. I can't believe it's been three years already. Holy crap. Almost four years. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I had just bought my house a year earlier with my wife uh, my fiance at the time it was just a means to like set myself at peace a little bit okay through college i had always been interested in graphic design i hadn't really done much with it you know i was making crappy band posters in microsoft paint <laughs> and like i i had just gotten like a knockoff version of adobe from a friend like completely illegally right i just started making these designs and I spent a lot of time just working on like 
just following YouTube tutorials and stuff. Okay. And then I started doing band posters for friends and stuff like that. And then like when it clicked in my mind that like bands are expensive and they really shouldn't be was like, okay, so how can I, how can I make money off of this? You know, it was, it was strictly for my own pure capitalist views, but (laughs) it kind of turned into like, look, like I've spent six hundred seven hundred dollars on a shirt yeah you know a design and like whatever their minimum was to order it and that is like that's a lot so at first i was like i don't like i can't justify buying this and not sell them you know because i've done that i've got shirts of my past bands sitting right over there in a box (laughs) and it's like i'm never gonna sell these you know like there's no way I was like, I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that again. Right. Uh, my friend Lauren, who actually, she bought a screen printing press. She was the the girlfriend of my singer in Violence and Vanity. Okay. One, one of my like bands in the middle there. And we just started pressing shirts. And actually, the first shirt I had pressed myself was a Fuck Jamie shirt. Nice. <laughs> and I sold a ton of them. Like a ton I'm of sure. them. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty cool. I ended up buying a press for my or my mom bought me a press for Christmas or something like that that Christmas and I just started printing stuff for bands. I was just like, look, like I don't know how this works. I'm learning it <laughs> as we go. I'm just going to start printing shirts. So I like I was charging nothing. I mean, I was charging like a quarter Sure, sure. Just so I made something because it was just fun. It was like, look, these bands need shirts. They don't want to spend six hundred dollars. They can spend three hundred, and it like the majority of that is just the blank shirt itself. Right, right. No minimums. I was doing. You pay for the screen. I keep the screen forever, and you never have to pay that startup fee again. And then um, I blew up. I mean, like I had <laughs> ordered. Like I was printing like a thousand shirts a week. Yeah. On top of my day job. And I was exhausted. I was burnt out. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? (laughs) I got pretty good at it pretty quick. I was like filming myself doing it on Facebook Live. I had all these aspirations that I didn't know I was going to have. Like I wanted to do like music reviews as I printed the band's shirts on live and stuff like that. And I was like, how else can I help bands? Right. Like what else can I do to help? So I did that for two years. You know, I kept printing and printing and printing and it got to the point where like we were about to get married Mm -hmm. the wedding was like extremely expensive and all of the money i had made just went to the wedding of course yeah i mean like i had this big beautiful (laughs) amazing wedding and i'll never i would give that up for anything for that day again but it's just a lot of work and i started i like made a little commercial with my friend just explaining why i'm doing it right and i mean in a nutshell like i was a I was a jaded, tired musician, tired of paying all this money for stuff. And I felt like there was a way for other bands to get that. In a nutshell, I was pretty much like the starting guy for a lot of local bands, like for the younger guys. Right. I'm only doing one color printing in my house because I only have a one color press. It was like everybody wants white on black anyways. So like classic band tee, like it works. So I was just doing that. It's fine. Yeah. I yeah. probably printed over 40,000 shirts in the past three years. That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's just you for the most part. I um, I had a couple contacts. Like there was a guy named Josh who had a shop nearby and he would do 
some multicolor stuff for me. Um, there's old Eastern ink shop in Towson who I'm really good friends with. They hook me up now and, and they, they actually burn all my screens for me. So, Oh, nice. I was, uh, getting screens from a place called Anthem in San Francisco where they would pre burn mm-hmm. them. Cause I didn't want to do it myself. Cause that's like so time consuming, especially when you've got a ton of bands. So my whole, my <laughs> right. whole workshop <laughs> right. back here is like, just, I've got like a hundred some screens just sitting in this back room and it's my wife hates it, but it's like in our laundry room. So, Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I mean, I'd show you my shop is a mess right now, like a total mess, <laughs> but that's all right. I'm just, I'm just trying to like grasp this idea of you having 40,000 shirts in three years while having bought a house wedding wife band and yeah, then everything band and then your normal work possibly in there oh, as well let's talk about that you want to know what i did for a living as my day job this is yeah. gonna blow your mind i booked clowns <laughs> <laughs> i i was a booking agent At like christmas parties yeah or... i i was i was like... a nationwide clown booker clowns character artists face painters balloon sculptors whatever you magicians that's a that's a job that's a job i worked there for five years i was the manager of the the office yeah holy but like i was working for like macy's and like chick-fil-a and mcdonald's and walmart and like big corporate like we need somebody to come sit and do balloons during the san unbeaten greet this saturday sure but they would call and be like hey we've got a hundred of these across the u.s can you fill them holy shit it's like such a weird entertainment market i don't okay, okay and i actually i got i got terminated mutually terminated okay in march because of uh because of covid so sure sure yeah okay. so i i was god i was doing that nine to five and then i would come home and i would print sit i would eat dinner and then print from six to ten like every night what time do you have for yourself yeah that's and for your new ish wife, that's what that's what happened. You know, like I was I was yeah. so, 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 so burnt out. Right. I, I felt obligated to stay at my job because it was like stable income. And you are the manager. Yeah. I, you know, like I knew everything. Right. This job, very high turnover. You know, we would have people coming and going like a lot. I was I was super stable for my boss. Sure. He actually offered me the job back during covid. They were they were gonna bring back one person, and I was like, I'm sorry, like I don't, I shouldn't leave my house. Like with Crohn's and like COVID, I was like, I don't, I'm trying yeah, not to yeah. go into an office. And like, if there's a way I can work from home, glad to discuss, but like, not for me. And uh, that's when like the clothing line really started. Gotcha. Okay. So I I, I took a, a little bit of a break from Dirty Bourbon printing. Yeah, printing thousands and thousands of shirts. I mean, it's it did slow down. I was taking less orders. I was getting more picky with who I was working with. Like I tried to work with just repeat clients for a while. And any like, you know, I'm pretty easygoing. I don't I don't feel like if somebody hit me up, they're like, hey, I want to get this done. I'm, <laughs> I'd probably just do it anyways. Like really hard time saying no. And sure, I'm not I'm not really printing for other bands like really at all anymore, which is kind of weird right to not have that but like i could do it again if i wanted to i don't think i mean and who is really even buying shirts for the band right now anyways like not right. that many exactly. bands are gearing up you know 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I feel like it was a really important switch for myself. Okay. Early on in COVID, I, I was unemployed. I was claiming unemployment. I was just literally every day. I was just trying to keep busy because I didn't want to just get stuck in this routine of, right. Okay. I'm going to play video games again today, you know? And right. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was cool. Like I, you know, my guitarist, Jim, he, he is uh, actually a guitar tech for I prevail. Oh, okay, cool. He was on the road when, when COVID hit, he was in like Germany when COVID hit. Wow. So he got home and then he, you know, he's out of work. So he, he and I would just call Skype call every day, just work on songs and riffs and stuff. <laughs> and if you know, if this band ever got huge and made a lot of money, like this is what my day would be. And this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I think it's time. I think it's time. So I, I literally tore down the dirty bourbon printing Facebook and the Instagram. I unfollowed everybody. I deleted all the posts. I deleted everything. Just wiped it clean. I did a couple little like quar. I, I called it quar ink team, basically like inktober kind of things like for myself. Right, right, right. Okay. And I did a couple of those, like just to work on my design work and get really good and, and try to find my like niche, my style, yeah. because I feel like I never had it. I like working with people a lot. So I feel like if they had something in their mind, I'd want to bring their design to life versus like me apply my taste to it. Sure. Sure. And that's, I think that's a, a, a cool thing to learn or maybe not learn pursue, right? Is, is knowing that I've been doing all this stuff for other people for so long. Let me see if there's something that I actually like. And then I'll do that. And if other people like it, awesome. Yeah. But this is these are like my actual designs in my head. And uh, I think one of the, the, the things that stand out to me is that they're, for the most part, for the designs that I'm seeing, there are a lot of like traditional art tattoo style, yeah. which I really, really like. So I, I'm loving like most of it. I love it. I, I think it's like the... My, you know, the, the easy way to put it is like people do like Nickelback. <laughs> yeah, There are people out there that like Nickelback. I'm not a huge fan. I, I don't mind it. I'm not going to say like, oh, I hate that band. But like people like hard rock. Right. And the reason is it's extremely accessible, which is the same reason people like American traditional tattoos, because it's like extreme. You can see the image and know exactly what it is right away. Yeah. It's not like the most beautiful thing in the world. You know, it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to just be accessible. Something easy that like if you saw a skull from afar or like a an anchor or a ship or whatever, like mm -hmm. you knew like, mm -hmm. okay, or a swallow, like that guy's probably a sailor. Right. I love, love, love the simplicity of it. And I think that's what makes it really beautiful. And it's so easy to just like take something extremely complex so like a lot of my reference pictures I get from a website called Pexels. Okay. And it's just like free commercial use photos. So like I just, just for my own safety, I guess, like legally I use that, those, those photos. And yeah, yeah, yeah. for a while I was doing tracing because like I wasn't, I didn't trust my ability to like mimic a design. So, but now I'm sure. like, this is, I love it. Like I love being able to like choose the shapes and qualities of these like really defined photos and choose the things i'm displaying yeah it's just uh yeah I, I finally like i found the style i love i feel like i'm a step away from just buying a tattoo gun but i don't think i <laughs> i don't think i have the energy or time to like do that so 
I'm going to just stick to like what I know and that's printing. So I just did a bunch of these like little like drawing contests. I was doing like mashups of like famous like cartoon characters together. And, right. Like, right. That was fun and kept drawing the like basically every single day. And then like the designs kind of just happened. Like the first design I did was a uh, sad, but rad. Yep. It was a little snail with a skull on his back and, it's not like super traditional looking, but I mean, like it was, it's still like tattoo inspired ish. So it's just, yeah, it's just a fun shirt. I think people love it. So, yeah, I, I, I really like it. And the one, I think one of the things that I like uh, about that style is that it's just very clear, concise, and distinct. So it's very memorable as well. And it always pops out, right? So, I don't know if that's something that you thought about when you were looking at different styles or if you just maybe like hopped onto it because that's what you gravitated towards. I think that's just like me. I think like I've worked really hard on coming up with the concept of dirty bourbon clothing. I I thought about changing the name, Mm -hmm. but I think that it had a lot of value, at least for local people. So I kept it. Gotcha. Bourbon is actually my dog. He's actually sitting right next to me. So like that's where the dog skull comes into play. So like he is dirty bourbon. That's adorable. I love that. I mean, like, and I had concerns about that too, like that logo, because it's like, are people going to think I'm like some punk dog brand company? Ah, yeah. Okay. But whatever, you know, they can get over it. I'm going to be adding some dog themed stuff into the store probably in the next couple of months. That's exciting. Yeah. Just some like little bandanas and collars and stuff. I felt like I needed to design something for my childhood self a little bit. Okay. I went to an all boys private school from grades one to 12. Okay. You know, private school. It's like, you got to wear a tie and a button down and khakis and stuff. And I felt like I couldn't be me. Right. Um, I felt really trapped at that school a lot of the time. And, you know, I was one of like maybe 10 kids in the entire school that like wanted to be like musicians in whatever way. A lot of jocks, you know, a lot of preppy kids. Right. Kind of that traditional like private school setup. Yeah. From what it sounds like where you have you have like the preps jocks and that's most of the population. Then you have the ones that maybe untuck their shirt, maybe loosen their tie a little bit when no one's looking. It's okay. Yeah. I was very alone a lot of the time. I wouldn't say that I was like in a clique. Okay. But I guess I was like in the outcast click, if that's, if you want to call it that. <laughs> the freaks and geeks click. Yeah. I, yeah. Pretty much. Freaks and geeks. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. I felt like I wanted to just make, you know, and that's kind of where a lot of things, you know, I, I started going to therapy during COVID. That's been like super beneficial. And actually, the release of everything and why I'm doing it. Our motto is whatever you're seeing, you're valued. I like that. The idea that like anybody who, for them it's not just for a punk guy it's not just for a goth girl it's not just for like a nerd you know like it's if you like it you can wear it and that's all that matters i'm heavily involved in a lot of different programs that i'm i'm trying to like build up my sister's bisexual um she she's very 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 extremely involved in the lgbtq plus community okay i've been taking a lot of notes from her on trying to get more involved (laughs) like with all the racial issues in america and all that kind of stuff happening like i i made some fuck racism shirts with a friend of mine and we've been selling those trying to raise money for a uh, youth arts organization specifically for 
you know, children of color in Baltimore. That would be a very, very important thing. Yeah. Giving them access, just having having that resource there because a lot a lot of the ones in the inner city just don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. So like the the whole, I think it was like every $5 gets them an art kit or every $15 gets them like a free art class. Okay. We're selling these shirts for 25 bucks. Like we're getting each kid an art kit and an art class and more like keeping kids involved in a community that's like actually beneficial for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I want to just keep doing stuff like that. You know, I want to keep helping these communities make sure that they're loved and they know they're loved and supported and all those kinds of things. And like, I'm going to do these dog apparel stuff mm-hmm. coming up soon. And I'm going to try to get involved with some rescues to see if we can get some doggy models or something and like, yeah. like connect it with adopting them or something like that. And I don't know. Yeah. I haven't thought it all out yet, but like, I want to do a lot of stuff like that. You know, it started with musicians and helping musicians, but it turned out like, I just want to help people. I love that. That's it. You know, it's a lot of work and it's money out of my personal pocket sometimes, but that's okay. Do you think that sense of empathy and wanting to help came across at all through your experience with Crohn's? Yeah, for sure. October was my 10 year anniversary for getting diagnosed. I mean, they think that I had it way before then, but I had a major, major flare up first semester of college and that ruined me. That's not a good experience. Your first, your first go around. It was October of my first semester and I had to go in the hospital for a month. It was not a good look. I still graduated on time somehow. (laughs) I have no idea how I did it. I I was looking through my Facebook memories the other day of October. I guess it was October when I was doing that. And this is part of like reflection from therapy too. But like, I was so, I was so sick. Mm -hmm. and I didn't want anybody to know so a lot of my posts were like telling people that I was in the hospital and like this is what I'm going through like it was very open I was very open about it but a lot of it was like I literally wrote like it's gonna be okay I promise you it's gonna be okay like I was talking to like my friend like trying to console my friends yeah even though you're the one suffering you're the one that's going through it yeah It was very strange. It was like, I'll I'll be strong for you. Like, not for myself, but I'll be strong for you. And so, like, started unpacking the idea that, like, socially, I tend to lean that way. I tend to lean, like, I don't like to say no to people, Mm -hmm. especially when it's Crohn's related. I absolutely don't like to allow the disease to, like, stop my plans. That's good. So I'll get, I'll have, like, mini flare-ups before seeing people which is stems from like is there gonna be a bathroom there is there gonna be you know i'm going somewhere i don't know what if i get sick you know so i've i've literally hurt myself going to see friends before when i could just say no or i'm so sorry i'm sick like i i literally can't do this but it's it's kind of like i don't want to be judged for the guy that bails either you know and that's that's part of it and that's something i'm working through but I bail all the time just because I don't like people. So yeah, I figured it out. (laughs) But if it's somebody I like, I don't want to like, Oh yeah. 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 Like if I don't like anybody, so that's fine. Like if it, let's say like you were like, Hey dude, like I'm having a birthday party next week. Right. And I, can you get me a clown? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I can. I'll get you i I'll get you broccoli. He's the best. (laughs) Uh, No, he's actually not the best. The fact that you know that, and I, I want to, I do want to uh, circle back on that 
eventually because the the Joker movie had that like in real life. Yeah, there's the, like a clown agency, which is insane. I mean, like it's not a physical place. Sure, you know, but, but yeah, like I worked for the clown agency, like literally. <laughs> it's it's disgusting. I worked there for five years. I literally like my coworkers would just be like, "All right, Cincinnati clowns, how many are there, and what are their rates?" And I literally could just spout off the the rate. I don't I don't know how to feel about that. It's no, it was real. It's a really really sad thing to know. <laughs> Like that's that's part of my I'm going to be like 76 in a retirement home just spouting out clown names and rates. It's going to be really, really bad. Yeah, that's that's when that's the the end of it. That's that's you just like chilling out in the nursing home, just being like, oh, yeah, uh, broccoli, 150 an hour with, <laughs> in Baltimore. Like, God, that that sounds dirtier than what it probably is, but it's, I guess, fine. Mm. I don't know. Like, hmm. Oh, anyway, I I just thought about that because when you were talking about that, I thought about uh, the movie Joker Mm -hmm. where they're doing a clown booking agency like that's his whole job and just having that and then like the corporatization of it and the the actual like aggressive sales of it is a whole other side that's completely insane to me. So I know that I derailed like a a good like almost serious conversation, but I'm sorry. Um, Why am I apologizing? It's my show. Anyway, so that that piece right there just was blowing my mind for a second. And then I I was always thinking of, okay, what kind of booking skills translated to any of the projects that you're with? Because what you're what you're talking about a little bit is your your college experience (laughs) that first like a semester just fucked just entirely gone and then you were also saying that you had some bands during your college years too and you've been booking clown clowns uh booking party people yeah is that uh, enter- I, i'm trying to think entertainers like entertainers entertainers party entertainers yes entertainers Fa- family enough. friendly party entertainment is like the, the perfect <laughs> i was just trying to not say clowns <laughs> yeah because you did that for five years i just i, I wasn't sure if anything that you learned through your bands translated to your job there or vice versa? I think like being a musician and the skills I learned in college surrounding entertainment got me the job for booking clowns and entertainers. Okay. It's not as, God, I don't even want to say the word glamorous. It's not glamorous at all. (laughs) It's, I met a lot, like a, a lot of really cool people through, through the booking industry, like the end of, family entertainment booking industry. Jesus. I'm going to keep getting mixed up between music and, and clowns. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> so a lot of what we did was mainly like face painters and caricature artists. Like those were like the money makers, which is insane. I think early on in my job, I didn't have a lot of repeat clients. Obviously it was mainly birthday parties. Okay. Smaller, like bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, like, you know, and they're always asking for DJs, but we didn't do anything music related. Right. I just got to talk to like mom and pops getting their kid, a kid, an entertainer. And then like every once in a while, like a corporate would slip through and they would, they would just enjoy working with me. So like, I guess my, like my corporate sales skills. Yeah. Developed a lot. Yeah. And by the time that I was the lead supervisor, I was that's all I was doing. I wasn't doing any family stuff, really. I was doing mainly corporate. Like I was booking like massive, massive, massive events, you know, like 
hundreds of them across America at a time. You don't even think about it. It's not something like maybe you see like a face painter outside of Walmart or something like that. They're selling grills or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's what it was. A lot. A lot of it was like when the Star Wars movies came out, like Walmart did a huge Star Wars thing, at least in bigger cities so like they would they did a lot of like california texas orlando like the main hubs for stuff and we were sitting somebody down at every walmart in like all of texas you know and it's like we don't have that many entertainers so i was like calling people if they could travel four or five hours to get to this walmart and like yeah it was very much so like schedule just scheduling you know yeah, we talk to the client. They tell us what they want. We contact entertainers, get them to fill the gig, send out a sheet saying it's confirmed, get a contract done. Like a lot of it, just corporate paperwork, but still like business service to business sales. I don't remember exactly business, 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 or whatever. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think I think the the biggest thing for that is the lowest common denominator is you talking to a venue or uh, not a venue. I guess a venue, right? So you're talking to a company that's holding, that has a building that they need entertainment in. And then you're booking that entertainer. So the base of the booking side of it can be translated into probably any business ever. So stand-ups, musicians, clowns, face painters. The only other thing that I'm thinking of is this face painter could be a makeup artist that had thoughts of going to Hollywood and now are just like, I'm in Walmart in uh, Lubbock, Texas. Yeah, but it pays. That's the thing. <laughs> it pays. Like, I get it. I mean, like, we did henna artists. We did face painters. Like, for a while, we did impersonators, which, like, they ask for a lot of money. I'm sure. They were never easy to book. Never. I met some really strange people. You have to you have to have something a little wrong with you to be an impersonator. I'm sorry. It's crazy. Now that means that at all the Dead Eye shows though, you need a face painter. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I probably could get one in every single city we ever play, but Yeah, no, I think like the skills translated pretty well. Yeah. At, at least like I learned a lot about running a small business, you know, in general, right. whether or not like right. t-shirts and booking clowns relate at all i still at least learned like basic accounting and invoicing and and, like contracts and stuff like that so i mean like the there's benefit to it for sure yeah and and my boss was really cool my boss let me go on tour several times my boss let me play shows pretty much at the drop of hat which is amazing yeah The, the flexibility of it was very nice for a nine to five job it was good why they can't let you do it at home doesn't make any sense to me because all you're doing is pushing papers and and calling people, right? It was it was more just like centralized phone line stuff oh, for the yeah. most part. Yeah, like okay. they wanted their number used, not a cell phone and, and stuff like that. And like yeah. you can work around it, but like they were in the midst of updating a website for a lot of time and money. And it was just seemed like an extra kind of thing to figure out and stuff. Like I get it. Yeah. I get it. It was yeah. just for the best. Yeah, like we were able to work from home, but I'm also part of a multi-million dollar tech company. It's a little, little different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> price, price wise, a little different. I mean, we're not. Yeah. I don't know that I can disclose how much my boss made every year, but uh, not that much. So. Right, right. But it, it just gives you the the 
the idea, but also how small businesses are still trying to figure out how to use technology a lot and embrace that. And one of the nice things for you is that you've seen a lot of the those different aspects of social media throughout the years. So all the stuff that you have possibly planning on for Dirty Bourbon, you're able to use whatever resources that you've developed for the past 20 years of your life to go in and be like, oh yeah, I can actually give back, launch it correctly, and then make sure that I have the biggest impact as possible to the best of my ability, right? Yep. So that that's fantastic. What do you think is one thing that you've learned the most about yourself when you look back on your music journey and then also what you're planning to do in the future with Dirty Bourbon? Um, I guess the biggest thing I've learned about myself is that my own input matters a lot in decision making. I think that like for a long time, I would keep my mouth shut for some things and my own personality and mind, like I kind of, if I don't get my voice heard on something that I want it to be heard on, I have like a severe issue with that in studio and when recording and stuff, I'm really only going to open my mouth when I have an idea that I think is valid. Okay. I'll like try to justify it in my head before I even speak. Like it's very much a think before you speak kind of thing. Right. Which I definitely didn't do before. I just think that like, if you're constantly talking in a realm like the studio or like a thinking space, mm -hmm. your voice starts to drown out a little bit. I'd rather just say something short and concise as to what I mean and have people hear it and then actually like think and reflect on what I've said versus just like every idea that comes to my head, just spit it out. You know, like that would be <laughs> right. Right. Like I can do that at home with my wife. Sure. You know, I can, I can sit here with my dirty bourbon book and be like, these are the, my ideas, you know? And like, I'll go through them constantly just cross off things. And I'm like, that's not even plausible. You know, also that like no ideas is, is too big. It's very cliche, but if you put your mind to it, you can make it happen. And like, it kind of is true though. You know, yeah. like I've taught myself, Google AdWords. Did I think I could do that? No. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. You know, like it's no, but I'm, I'm working on it and it's happening and I've got success from it. So like now it's just refine it. Like I have a, I have a really, 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 really good friend, Jack from college. And he's, he's been with me since literally day one of getting Crohn's. I, just yesterday I was talking to him about just advertising on Facebook and stuff. Cause that's what he does for a living. Oh, okay. He was just like, and I've dabbled in it quite a bit for the bands and stuff like that. But yeah, he's like, I don't really know a lot of like e-commerce stuff, like selling shirts, you know, selling a product, marketing a band, one thing, but like selling a product, totally different. And he was like, but here, here's some homework. And I'm like, okay. And it's like, only your real friends would give you like e-commerce ad homework. Right. Right. Yeah, I have a bunch of stuff to learn this week, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> that's fantastic because it, the ones, the ones that, uh, I think the ones that make you like learn more are the ones that are a little bit more meaningful. Yeah. And it's not like I talk to him all the time. Like, I mean, we're really, really good friends, but yeah, it's kind of like it's, it's one of those friendships of like you pick up where you left off. Right. I could not talk to him for two years. And if I saw him tomorrow, it'd be like, oh my God, dude, do you remember? Blah, blah, blah. Like, and, you know, you're just there. Yeah. It's really interesting to see everything finally, like, come to fruition. Like, I guess when I started 
dirty ribbon printing. I was like, you know what? Like I could throughout, I had sold shirts for the company, just like one-off designs. But I was like, I I think I could do a clothing line. Like, I think I could do it. And then I spent probably a month straight working on this website through Shopify and, and learning not like I'm not HTML coder or anything like that, but like I had to learn things I didn't know. Cause I was like, I saw some competitors websites and I'm like, I really like how they did that. And I was like talking to the support for the theme I bought for Shopify. And they're like, yeah, we don't really like do that, but like we can tell you kind of what to do, but not really. And they like, they pushed me in a direction. I was like, okay, well I'll learn it, whatever. So I like taught myself some code (laughs) so that this one thing could do this one thing, you know? Yeah. Always learning, dude. (laughs) Yeah. I I love that. Like that's, that's fantastic because that that drive like once you find something that you're passionate about that drive just like kicks in and you just do everything and it's it's fantastic um one of the things that you kind of mentioned a little bit and has been a little bit of a theme for you is that you're you're outwardly um trying to help as many people as you can and and you think about others a lot do you find or have you found yet that you have really like grown into your own voice as far as possibly the clothing line or just even, even in your overall life, because even talking about like being at that studio where you're possibly overthinking your ideas, but also knowing that, okay, I need this to actually be a good one before I actually put input in. One of the things I've talked about with my therapist a lot is rumination and the idea of overthinking. That's where the majority of my anxiety, depression comes from is just overthinking things that I shouldn't be overthinking. It's such a blessing and it's such a curse at the same time because like I know how to think myself out of overthinking, which is like bizarre, but it's plausible. Yeah, I I feel that. There's there's a, a Twitch streamer called Healthy Gamer GG. Okay. And he's a he's a therapist. His name's Dr. K. He specifically talks about therapy for video game addiction. And for whatever reason, I stumbled on his channel. He said something to me that like kind of stuck out and it's not anything like really therapeutic or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. he was like, so I, I started doing video game therapy for individuals who were addicted to video games. And I found a lot of success with it, but I constantly was bombarded with people who needed help. So I started this Twitch channel just to give like a basic idea of how to help these people. And I was like, that's really interesting. And then he said something that was like, I don't know if you're a video gamer at all, but he was like, Twitch was a means for me to have therapy AOE. Area of effect or yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. So it's like, I love that concept. And I was like, as soon as he said it, I clicked. I was like, how do I make dirty bourbon printing AOE? Yeah. So I think like right now it's like not really, I'm not having much area of effect, right? Like my, my helpful goals, like my means of helping people is, is very minimal. Sure. When it grows and it gets bigger and I can start endorsing bands and helping bands and doing like that side of things. And I can start like really helping minority communities more. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be my AOE and like, I'm going to make it happen that's the end goal. Like the end goal is, is not to just like have money. It's like to like actually help people right you now on a grander scale than I can now. That's fantastic. I, that 
because I think I think in in my corporate world that I'm in, like my job, I want to have the biggest impact on the most amount of people that I can. So my the thing that I like about my job is that I'm able to a lot and I'm able to train a lot, and that's that's what I love doing above all else. And then seeing them eventually get promoted or developing skills to make them a leader, yada, 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 right? That's what I, I, I like on, on that side. So I always think about the biggest impact that I can have when, when I'm working. It's, it's silly because I have almost not exactly the opposite, but I don't have the same like confidence in my own project to do the same thing. Sure. If that makes sense. No, that makes absolute sense. So when I'm looking at everything from here, like what you were talking about with your friend that gets paid to do Facebook ads for a living, I've tried using those and it's so weird to me because I'm like paying to get my own exposure. Like I'm paying for you to just like look at me and I'm just like, how, how do we balance that? Right? Like that's, I'm, I'm always struggling with that. And it's, it's part of just like a learning process, being more confident in yourself Right and sure. confident in your product and being like, yeah, I like what I do. Hopefully, other people will like it. But also, it's it's always like interesting to me to know how I am in a, a work setting, and then when I shift gears to a personal setting, it's a completely different animal. And trying to bridge that gap in between that is, has been an interesting thing for me. And then just learning or yeah, learning about your journey with everything is also really cool to have that kind of passion and drive for it. And then also have that aspect of, I can approach this in an analytical and logical way too. Yeah. It's interesting. It's so interesting. I mean, I, I feel like right now, currently, the most helpful I've been to people is with my journey myself, like with Crohn's. Yeah. I've always been pretty open about it. And it's just one of those things like, you know, you don't look sick like that alone. 10 years of getting that directly from people is like, it's a little detrimental, you know, yeah. like it's not yeah. like, like what am, what am I supposed to look like? Right. You just invalidated every pain or feeling I've ever had with one phrase. You invalidated, invalidated me as a person Yeah. because I, I exist with this pain and that like shapes who I am, right? Because I can't knock it. So whether whether I like grow from it or whether I succumb to it, whatever it is, but you saying that I don't look like I'm in pain is tough. And then like I always get you're too young to feel that way. You're too young to be tired. Oh you're too God. young to be in pain. Don't worry All about it. You'll you'll know when you're I'm older. Like, well, all right, Bertha. I'm glad that you had a very <laughs> lively life when you were 29. Like, Jesus. I mean, like, I'm 20. I'm 28. I'm gonna be 29 next month. Okay. And, like, I have the body of a 56 year old. Right. You know, like, it's like, what do you want from me? So, it's it's so it's so frustrating. And it, like, I've actually fought with people over this statement. Like there are people that like just disagree, you know, they're like, no, it's a good thing that they say that like, that should be a, a confidence booster. I'm like, like, and these are people with chronic illnesses themselves. And I'm okay. like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I, I 100% disagree. I think it's extremely disrespectful. Yeah. I think it's completely like ignorant of somebody to say like the fact that like, because I don't look sick, sure. M maybe I have some privilege over people that 
do look sick, like chronically, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I'm like skin diseases or something like that. Or like, I don't know, like, sure. I, I'm not disagreeing with that, but it doesn't mean that I don't curl up in my bathroom like once right. a week, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. like just because you aren't invited in the room doesn't mean it's not <laughs> happening. Like, Do you want me to send you a picture next time? I can give you a yeah, video. I'll, I'll, like, what's... I'll video call you. <laughs> Find it on my OnlyFans. Oh, mm, mm. my fans. Yeah, that, I like that. That would be uh, that would be a very interesting thing. I like that. Oh, mm. I I don't want to be in the same room. I don't like. I want to help, no. but I don't want to be in the same room. No, I mean, like the the best the the best help that somebody can be is just like not questioning it. You know, like yeah. I don't I don't need you to understand what my pain is. I need you to just understand that I have it. And that's a universal thing, you know, that's that's, everyone. right? Yeah. That's such a, like a base human thing. Like if that was the most prevalent in people's minds, we wouldn't have as many issues that we're having right now, because just because you don't look like you're suffering in whatever way, doesn't mean that your suffering a isn't real. And then the system that causes it is also real. Like all of that can be true. Yes. And they can still look like they're surviving. I agree. Yeah, and that's that's past pain. You're just talking in in suffering terms now. Like yeah, that's exactly that's everything. I think the biggest thing I've learned and the biggest thing that like my biggest hurdle with Crohn's has been like devaluing someone else's pain because I have pain, right? Like I don't understand what your pain is, but like like it's the whole idea that like, oh, you had a shitty childhood, no way. Here's my childhood. And it's like if the worst thing that happened to you was like your cat died or something, that still sucks. You know, like it's a lose lose. If you're going to try to say that your pain is worse than someone else's, like you're losing twice now because you made yourself look like an idiot and B, you're still in pain. Like it doesn't take away your pain to have more pain than someone else. And that's something I struggled with. Like I, I literally like, I would hear somebody talking about like if you were talking about your, you know, your back pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would have been like, oh, dude, you don't even know the half of it, dude. Like I'm in the bathroom 16 times a day. Like that didn't benefit either of us, right? At all, right? And that was my way of thinking when I first got Crohn's. Like I thought like this is the worst thing that could happen to somebody, because thing that could happen to me. And it's like that's not even the case at all. Yeah. I mean, I fought through that. Thank God. I'm glad that my mind was like, yeah. like I can call past Jamie a, f- a fucking idiot. So I love that so much because that that is such a like an important thing to to realize that uh, you know everybody's dealing with shit. Everybody, there's there's always something going on, and the the emotions that they feel are always going to be real. So you can't necessarily be like buck up. You, your life doesn't suck that much because you don't necessarily know. And the bigger part about that too is if there's any kind of like psychological issue at all, those emotions are intensified. So like all of that can be even a bigger feeling. And now you're just like, oh, well, if you say that I, I'm okay, I'm still not. So yeah. <laughs> it's always, ah, yeah, that, that right there is, is just something insane to me. And just like, if you don't have that same experience, my experience is invalidated. I think the best thing like anybody can do for anyone is just ask what, what can I do? 
if I were to post tomorrow and say like, I'm having a really bad day, what's the one thing that I wouldn't be upset with somebody saying? Probably like, is there anything I can do for you? Yeah. Even if you post like, it's going to be okay. Keep your head up. You'll get through it. Yeah. But I don't feel like I'm going to get right. You know, like there's those secondary thoughts that people don't really think about right away. I mean, like thoughts and prayers are fine. I don't mind it. I don't mind people saying that to me. You know, I'm not religious myself, but I understand that like somebody else could be and and they are thinking of me and that does mean something. Yeah. But you don't look sick kills me. When I was younger, I I, I died like three times. Like I, I was dealing with thyroid issues, asthma issues, bronchitis, pneumonia, all within like time I was born to like three. Yeah. So tubes in my ears, everything. Right. So having my mom tell me all of that and be like, I lost you a lot. And then dealing with that throughout high school and, and just growing up to where I've had other injuries that happen, all of that and saying, oh, you're such a like, you're so young. There's nothing wrong with you. That, that hurts. Like it, and it's frustrating. And it's just like, okay, I mean, that's, that's your like opinion man but this is <laughs> this is what's happening that's like your opinion man <laughs> yeah no it's it's such i mean like they had me date back symptoms crohn's backwards when i was in the hospital oh interesting okay i had like some abscesses and like they were like when's like when's like the first time you remember feeling really bad and i was like i mean i've dealt with stomach aches all through high school, yeah. all through middle school. And it was just like, it was Crohn's just like in the background, like, hey, we're brewing. And <laughs> like, it, it, this, I mean, it's a very, very stress-induced disease. So like, I went to college. I left home. I started doing things I wasn't normally accustomed to. And like, my body just snapped. And I mean, if I could go back and do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have gotten surgery. I don't think. Really? I think I would have... Yeah, I mean, they gave me the option. They said, do you want to try medicine or do you want surgery? Surgery would get you back to school faster. And I was like, well, surgery, I want to get back to school. But boy, normally that if I had my my whole colon still, oh, (laughs) you know, I'd be unstoppable. I mean, but there's no saying that I wouldn't have to have surgery anyways. Yeah. But, you know, I probably damned if you do damned if you don't. So, yeah, I mean, it got me back to school. I graduated on time. I did all the things I wanted to try to do. So that's the best that I can ask yeah, for. Usually young people are like, oh, school. I don't want to do that. And you're just like, oh, school. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. I want to have a normal life. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. college, was, college was awesome. I loved college. <laughs> it was so much fun. But yeah, I, I think that's just like where I, I can reach out to people and people. I, I think I actually take my my knowledge and advice, you know, I'm not, I I, I guess I'm an advocate for the chronically ill is is the best way to put it. But I don't know. I just, the, you don't look sick shirt was like such a a weird one for me. Like I needed to do it. It just came out of nowhere. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to draw for it. And it's just this hand living hand holding a dying flower. And it's just like, what are you supposed to look like? I don't know. Like this, like this is what I feel like, you know, I'm I'm handing it to you. And it's fantastic. What do you think keeps you motivated the most to continue to pursue either music or any of your other ventures, like with the clothing line? It's, it's a little hand in hand. 
the clothing line besides wanting to help people is also a more passive way to make money instead of working a job so that if the band does tour i can still bring in money during tour Mm -hmm. so that's that's the benefit there and i mean i guess maybe that's the goal for other bands you know for sponsoring and endorsing other bands down the line like maybe i can help provide something for them if they go on tour or something like that it's nowhere near that point right but right you know it's still it's still only like a month less than a month old so i mean like the initial success i've had is is great i'm very very happy with where it's it's gone i just need to work really hard on some advertising and, mm-hmm. and getting it out to people like i've reached the friend group no problem i've reached the friend of the friend group i just need to go to the rest of the world the public you know just the public yeah yeah, yeah. i'm I'm specifically just doing the u.s for now because i don't want to deal with overseas shipping and there's enough people in the u.s that i think i'm okay <laughs> I uh, think so, yeah. <laughs> i've already had a couple people overseas in england be like hey can you send me something i'm like well email me we'll talk about it right like, maybe i can make something happen like i don't want to deny an order but god that's shipping but are you able to maybe use different presses in different countries? That way you don't have to necessarily pay for like international shipping. I don't know if that's a thing. So they, they have like drop shipping. Like there's companies everywhere that, that do it. Basically, you just send them the design and they print it and send it out. Okay. I'm not against it per se. I just there's there's a an aspect of like quality control that I can't yeah. control in that regard. So I'm kind of just like until I'm at a point where I feel comfortable to like maybe hire an employee or something, right. then then maybe. But I'm nowhere near that point. Another goal I had initially with Dirty Bourbon as a print shop, not as a company or a clothing line. If I could get it to being a self-sustaining print shop, I was going to try to hire musicians that toured. Just have a company somewhere out there that people could like oh, I can tour if I work this job. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of scheduling nightmare there. Yeah, but a little bit. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, it would be like I could hire somebody I trust to be there for right. time. And then, like, helping hands as needed with, yeah. with touring musicians. Sort of like uh, with the clown booking. You're the guy, and then we'll get, uh, we'll get a couple turnovers. It'll be all right. We'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, but now it's, it's just... Um, just getting it up and, and going to the point that I can tour and, and keep doing that. And I mean, like, obviously, I'm not going to be touring anytime soon. Right. It gives me time to just focus on this. And learn some stuff. So AdWords, learn advertising, learn all that good stuff. Yeah. Ad- AdWords, Facebook ads, e-commerce ads, Shopify ads, all that stuff. All the, all the, the good capitalism that makes the world go around, right? Yep. True capitalism. <laughs>